Excellent. Why don't you grab your seats? Who's ready uh, for the Word tonight? You ready? And we're going to go a bit deeper in a sense in the Word. And like I said, I just feel like get your heart right and be open to just allow God to reveal some stuff because I believe we're stepping into a season where we need every person ready to run. And, and for all of us being humans, and if you've lived long enough, there are things that can weigh us down. And I want to speak into that just a little bit. The Scripture I want to talk about is in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And it's the story, I'll just tell you the story for time's sake. But it's the story where King David, uh, he wants to bring the Ark of God to, uh, I think it's uh, Hebron, where, where he lives, to the palace. And and if you don't know, the Ark of God, in a sense, it was the fullness of God's presence. Who loves the fullness of God's presence? It was literally, it was this beautiful uh, box with gold and cherubim. And, and, but really, in layman's terms, it was God inside of a box. It was the fullness of God, God's presence in this box. And, and so David tries to bring the Ark of God to where he lived. And he didn't inquire of the Lord. And, and so he puts the ark on, on a new cart, which shouldn't have happened. And they start to take the ark. And there is a guy who's, a, uh, I think, the priest's son named Uzzah. Uh, not a good friend to have. Bit of a user. That was a dad joke right there. But anyway, and so, see, Pastor John laughed the most. Thank you. Yeah, it's like a dad thing. And Yeah, come on. And so, and so, the, the, the oxen stumble, the ark of God goes to fall off, user puts out his hand and God literally kills him. Okay, he's dead. David freaks out. He's like, man, who could ever bring the ark of God? And it goes to a house called Obed-Edom who literally gets his socks blessed off. Like, like he, 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 everything in his house just turns to blessing because that's what happens when you bring the ark of God home. That's what happens when you start to develop the presence of God, not at church, but at home where you live. And so this guy just can't believe how blessed he is. But then eventually David inquires of the Lord. He finds out the correct way to bring the ark of God, which was to be carried upon the shoulders of Levites. They take six steps. They make a sacrifice. There is, David gets so caught up in the Holy Ghost that he literally begins to take off his clothes. I'm believing for a move of God tonight, but if you take off your clothes, you will be escorted out of the building. That's the praise party that you can say for at home if you're married, okay? Uh, and if you're not, keep believing. And, and, so, and so he gets caught up and he's literally taken off his clothes, dancing with the slave girls. And then Michal, his wife, who was the daughter of Saul, she's watching from the palace and she despises him in her heart. And she says, he goes to bless her. He's on his way to bless her. And she says, how the king has acted like any vulgar fellow would. And he says, I'm going to get even more undignified than this. And then the Bible says that she remained barren all the days of her life. And so if you think about it, because I want you to see, this is where we're going to get a little bit deep in a sense. It's a bit of a typology kind of message. Because if you think about what I just told you, it was a journey. 
but I want you to see it in a different light, if that's okay. So the first part, we're going to call this the very first part of the journey. We'll, we'll do that over here just to help you within your mind. The first part of the journey, because uh, there was two parts of this journey, wasn't there? There was the first part that failed, then there was the second part that succeeded. And a little bit like this book, there's two parts to this book. There was the first part that communicated a message, and then the second part that also communicated a message and an even better message. There were two covenants, the old and the new. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 3 to 7, it's the, the guys have got it on the screen. It says, they set the ark. This is the first part of the journey. They set the ark of God on a new cart, which he shouldn't have done. And they brought it from the house of Abdinab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ao, sons of Abdinab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. Ao was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels. It was old school Pentecostal. They had flags and everything. Uh, <laughs> when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark. Uh, I'm being kind of called an evangelist at times and traveled for nine years. And sometimes, you know, the message is that God's a God of love, okay? And then every now and again, God does stuff in the Bible and you go, well, you make it a little hard. Do you know what I mean? Like, like think about this, right? Like, like user was a real man. He woke up that morning. He was pumped to be a part of carrying the ark of God. He kissed his little Jewish kids. He said to his wife, when I get home, invite every neighbor. We're going to celebrate. I am part of a move of God. This is incredible. The oxen stumbled. He didn't push the cart off. He did what any one of us would have done. He reached out his hand to stop it and God killed him. He's dead. His children never see him again. And, 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 and I'm like, God, what's the deal with this? But there is a symbolic message in why this particular thing happened. See, think about it. It's the start of the journey, the first part of the journey, just like the first part of the book, the first covenant, the old covenant. It says at the beginning, it said the oxen stumbled. Just like in the very beginning of the book, there was a man and a woman that also stumbled in the garden. They fell short of the glory of God. They, they slipped up, they messed up, they gave into their sinful nature. And they stumbled. And, and user's name in the Bible, if you research it, it means either strength, uh, sorry, it means either pride or strength. And so what it is, is a picture of the old covenants that because the oxen stumbled, because mankind stumbled, if you were ever to try and touch the fullness of who God was in your own strength, it's not that He's a party pooper, it's just who He is and who you are, and it's impossible to ever touch the fullness of who God is. And really the entire message of the Old Testament was to reveal to you that nobody could live up to the standard of God Almighty and it's impossible to ever touch the fullness of who God is. That how could an ex-drug addict or an alcoholic ever touch the fullness of who God is and it becomes impossible simply because the oxen stumbled. Adam and Eve fell short. They gave into their sinful nature. 
And so really the first part of the journey, the first part of the book is to reveal that it is impossible for man that has sinful nature to ever touch the fullness of God who is holy and righteous. But then David inquires of the Lord and we come to the second part of the journey. He read the scripture and found out the appropriate way and and he finds out that the ark was to be carried upon the shoulders of the Levites. This was important. Remember now we're in the second part of the journey, the second part of the book, because what why this was important is because it was a prophetic act. It was a prophetic act that even though I showed you in the beginning that it's impossible for an ex-drug addict with divorced parents to ever be able to come and touch the fullness of God, there'll come a day where every man and woman will be able to carry the fullness of the Holy Spirit upon their shoulders, not just on Saturday night at church, but on Monday at work, on Tuesday at school, on Wednesday in their home. And so this thing that was revealed to be impossible now seems to be possible in the second part of the journey. But the thing that happened is they put the the, the ark of God upon their shoulders, but then there were six steps and then a sacrifice. Why why, why not three? Why not five? Why not 12? Why not 20? There were six. One, two, three, four, five, six, and then a sacrifice. The number six in Bible numerology is the number of man. Because what it's showing us is that what we revealed was impossible in the start of the book. There'll come a time where what is impossible will become possible because one, two, three, four, five, six, a man, there'll be a man and then a sacrifice. And because the man will come that has no sin, he'll pay the ultimate price so that what is impossible all of a sudden becomes possible and you can come as messed up as you like and carry the fullness of God because a man paid the price so that you could carry. And so it's the old and the new. It's the first part, the second part. It's kind of the moment of salvation. You know, when you first got saved and you had a, and if you haven't already had it, you'll get a chance at the end of this service, but you have a woe unto me moment where for the first time I realized I was a sinner and I fell short. But thankfully, I didn't stay there. I moved to this second part, which really is the New Testament. It's the goodness and grace of God. And I realized that that, that I fell short, but I came to the goodness and grace and I met the man that paid the price so that I could have what I didn't deserve. And so it's the Old and New Covenant, the Old and New Testament It's the moment of salvation, but who knows that on the other side of these two things, there's a whole lot of living to be done. And in this story, there's two people that are watching what's taking place. One is David who becomes incredibly fruitful, not perfect, but incredibly fruitful. One is Michal who remains barren all the days of her life. And the thing that I want to put to you is that what you focus on determines your perception and your perception determines whether you are fruitful or barren. See, you might say, no, 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 it's all based on what Jesus did. No, it's not. It's based on your perception of what Jesus did. And your perception is determined by what you focus on. 
See, the devil knows he can't change what Jesus did. He can't rip the New Testament out. He can't rip the goodness and grace of God out of the Bible. But what he can do is he can get you to focus on the wrong things, distort your perception. And like Macau, the goodness of God is right under your nose, but you remain barren in everything you do. Let me give you a perfect example. Jesus was on the cross, a criminal on each side. One of those criminals focused on what the crowd was saying as they jeered and mocked Jesus. And because he focused on what the crowd was saying, he too mocked the very one that could have ushered him into the kingdom of God. But instead, he's remained barren for all of an eternity because he focused on the wrong thing. His perception was distorted and he remained barren. Yet there was another criminal that was just as guilty as the other guy. But instead of focusing on the crowd, he focused on the goodness and grace of God. He looked at Jesus and he said, hey, I deserve death, but this man's a good man. He doesn't deserve to be here. And because he focused on the right thing, his perception remained true. Therefore, he asked the right question. And he said, will you remember me in your kingdom? And Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you today, Day you will be with me in eternal paradise. <clears throat> See, what you focus on determines your perception, and your perception determines whether you're fruitful or barren. See, I'm not going to fully go there, but we could look at a few scriptures and you'll see in David's life, in this particular journey, you'll see incredible praise. You'll see sacrifice and you'll see generosity. See, because let me tell you, you can't look at this whole journey. You can't look at the fact that I remember seeing that a drug addict should never have any business connecting with the fullness of God. But then a man came and he stepped into my world and he gave me what, oh, I can't, I can't can't look at that and not praise Him. I can't look at that and not give a sacrifice. I can't look at that and not be generous because I'm looking at the goodness and grace of Jesus. See, if your praise, sacrifice or gener generosity has waned, I wonder if your eyes have gotten off the goodness and grace of Jesus Christ. I wonder if you got tripped up and started to look at church politics or this disappointment or that particular thing, and all of a sudden those things start to wane. But then the three things I want to quickly give you is I want to look at Mikel. And again, there's a moment, you can read it later, the guys have got, I think it's verse 20 to 23. But there's this moment where David after dancing with these girls and getting caught up in the Holy Spirit because he's watching the goodness and grace of God. And then it says this, he says, then he went home to bless his household. He was walking through that palace and he was ready to prophesy over Macau. He was ready to prophesy over every wife, every child, every servant. He was ready to go. You can only have one wife, okay, just in case if you're living in this age. And, and, and then he gets up, he's ready to bless. And Mikkel, when she sees him, she vomits her negativity and says how the king acts like a vulgar fellow would. And it says, and she remained barren. Not God made her barren. Her perception made her barren. 
And what she focused on shaped her perception and she missed out on the goodness of God. Let me give you three things that, that, that she got caught up with, that all of us can get caught up in these things. And tonight we're going to leave at the altar. The first one is she, she focused on what others thought. Insecurity. You know, the Bible in this text, it deliberately calls her the daughter of Saul. Saul lost the kingdom because of insecurity. There's a moment where Samuel, representing the Word of God, says, don't do this particular thing, and he disobeyed. And when Samuel confronted him, he said, well, it was the people. It's what they wanted, insecurity. In other words, I was consumed by what the people's opinion was rather than God's. Then Samuel rips the garment and says, the kingdom has been taken from you. And I'm paraphrasing, but it's true to the text. And he says, rather than repenting like David would have, he says, well, will you at least appear before the people so that everything still seems that it's okay? Insecurity had gripped his heart and it cost him the kingdom. She was the daughter of Saul. I remember a funny story where uh, God kind of really dealt with insecurity in my life in a, in a very big way. It was a very long time ago. I was a youth pastor about 100 years ago. <clears throat> and we had finally hit 100 people. And I was just this ex-drugo that, you know, new to the church. And, you know, in my church, I was a little bit like golden boy, okay? It was like, you know, I was the guy that got brought up every week for testimony, you know? Like, and, and I was the guy that God said, you're going to marry that girl, the best looking girl in the church. And I got her. And, 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 and in my church, I was like golden boy. I'd walk in. Everybody knew of my great exploits. And I felt very secure when I walked in that place because they all knew who I was and what I'd done. And we finally hit 100 in our youth group and I went to this the Youth Alive conference in Melbourne. And I thought, this is going to be awesome. God's just going to tell me the next level of, of blessing and how favour. And, and I went there so stoked. We had just hit 100 kids. I thought, this is going to be awesome. And God was setting me up big time. I went to this church in Richmond, it was, and, and I walked in the building and I felt fine on the plane there. And the moment I walked in the building, insecurity gripped my heart like never before. Literally, it overwhelmed me where I, I couldn't make eye contact with other pastors. I couldn't get involved in conversation because now I was with 500 other great leaders that were all doing great things, but nobody knew who I was. And insecurity gripped my heart. And then the first session, Pastor Russell Evans was emceeing. He gets up and he says, I tell you, there's people here and you're struggling with insecurity. And I thought, oh, finally, just some pastoral love. And he says, I've got a word for you. He says, you need to know that your insecurity is pride and it's sin and you need to repent of your sin. I'm like, God, what are you doing? I'm golden boy. And literally every session, I promise you, I turned up late to conference. I left early just so I didn't have to talk to anyone. There was this one guy that I was insecure about the most. His name was James McPherson. The reason I was insecure about him is because way before I got saved at this church, he was the youth pastor. And, and some of my leaders every now and again, they talk about James McPherson. Oh, James, he was my favorite preacher. Oh, James, he used to buy us leadership books all the time. James, he used to write us letters and I've still got his letters up on my wall. And because of my insecurity in my heart, I'd be like, I hate this guy, James McPherson. <laughs> 
And so he gets to the very last session and Reggie Dabbs does this session and, 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 and I'm telling you, I hated the whole conference. I got nothing out of it. And Reggie Dab preaches and he gets to the end and he says, if you're a male here, you're, you're just on fire for Jesus. You're in a season where you're hot for God. So I want you to come and it's a church about this size, maybe a bit wider. And he says, I want you to come and stand down the front facing the crowd. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, I could have answered your stupid altar call a week ago. But now this conference, apparently I'm a backslidden sinner in pride. <laughs> and so like, there was no way I could walk to the front. And then he says, same thing, if you're a female and you're on fire, you're in a season, you're hot for God, blah, blah, blah. He says, come and stand a couple meters away from these, uh, these males. And he's creating this massive fire tunnel. And then he says, everyone else, you're in a season, you're not doing so well. And I promise you, right, I literally, he goes, we want you to come and walk through the tunnel. We're going to pray. And I literally said to myself, I am not going through that stupid tunnel. Because <laughs> the men that were standing here were all the heroes that I wanted to impress the most. And now I'm going through the backslidden altar call. <laughs> and I promise you, I said, I'm not doing it. And then I have this moment in a room bigger than this where I realize that every single other person 500 people was either part of the tunnel or going through the tunnel except me. I was in the third altar call, too proud to admit he needed to go through the tunnel. And so for no other reason but I was going to look stupid, I quickly jumped on the end of the tunnel. I said to myself, right, I'm going to put my head down. I'm not going to look at anyone. I'm going to pray in tongues. I'm going to get out of that tunnel. I'm going to go to the airport and I'm getting out of this stupid conference. And so I put my head down and I'm just like walking and everyone's like, and I just keep walking and walking and walking. And then at the corner of my eye, I can see the wall is coming up. And I'm like, I'm going to look up once just to get know where to get out of the tunnel so that I can leave this, this God forsaken place. <laughs> and so I only look up once. And the moment that I look up, I lock eyes with James McPherson. McPherson. <laughs> I literally came out of that tunnel. The Planet Shakers music was playing. And I dropped to my knees. And I began to weep in the presence of God. And God spoke to me. He said, Lucas, get your eyes off yourself and put them on me. See, insecurity is when you're consumed inward or consumed by what everyone else thinks and it distorts your perception and it will keep you barren. But what you need to do, if you've got insecurity and fear, take your eyes from inward and put them on stage one and two, that it's the goodness of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to focus on Him. See, rather than insecurity, have Him security. The second thing is she focused on the disappointments of the past. I might just get someone to come and play keys. We've got two more and then we're going to pray. So she focused on the disappointments of the past. See, you've got to understand that for Mikal, her whole family was killed in one day. You've got to understand she grew up as part of the royal family. She was Saul's girl. She was the princess. She was part of the dynasty the first ever king of Israel, never had a king, but she was part of that family. And then in one moment, her father is killed. Her brother, Jonathan, who biologically had the right to the kingdom is also killed. 
David becomes king and many of her family line are also killed. She struggled with disappointment. But see, someone needs to hear this, is what she failed to see is in that particular day, and it was a different time to now, the greatest thing that you could ever do as a woman, like the greatest thing in the nation of Israel, was to become the wife of the king, but not just that, but to give birth to a king. There was no greater feat that you could achieve as a woman was one to marry a king, but then be the one that gives birth to the next king. And when she was just the princess, that's pretty much as far as she could have gone. But actually her disappointment put her in a position where she now could have done the greatest feat of all, where she could have, where she didn't marry the king, but she could have been the one to give birth to the next king. But she never did because she couldn't move from being focused on the disappointments and turning her eyes back onto the goodness and grace of God. Because when you have disappointment and it's really difficult and you go through the grieving process, but you make a decision to say, you know what? Uh, yeah, it was bad. Yep, the divorce hurt. Yep, the bankruptcy killed. Yep, the diagnosis was terrible. Yep, my kids going off the rails was tough. But you know what? I'm going to turn my eyes on the goodness and grace of Jesus Christ. And when you do that, He will use the very thing that was the disappointment to catapult you into your destiny. And the last thing that we're going to pray into is the offences of the past. See, you've got to understand, there's a, there's a passage of Scripture where it says, Michal loved David. And of course she did. David was the guy that every young Jewish girl had a poster of David in her bedroom. Hopefully it wasn't that picture of him being naked, you know, the naked statue. <clears throat> but think about it, David, he was a worship leader. He was a poet. He was a warrior. He was good with his words. He was a leader. He was handsome. He was fit. He was the one that every girl wanted. And there was this moment where her dad Saul was trying to kill David and she made a decision to choose David over her own family. She allowed David to escape to safety and she put things under the bed and used some sheep's hair to give David a chance to escape. And the guards came to get him to kill him. And she said, no, he's sick. He's really sick. And bought him some time and they kept coming. She said, he's sick. And eventually they came in. She knew that she'd be found out. There's no way that she gets away with this. She's just given him time. She's going to cop the shame. And eventually they come in and she's disgraced in front of her own father for choosing. Rather than the dynasty, she chose some feral shepherd boy. But she loved him. And I imagine her sitting on the edge of her bed thinking, well, he'll, he'll come and get me and I'll go be with David and I'll be his girl. And a week went by and then a month 
and then a few. And she started to hear reports that David has now banded together and he's got a whole community and they're starting to thrive. And, and she, she's like, well, surely he'll come here. Any day now, he'll come back for me. And, and then six months and then a year and then longer. And eventually her dad makes her marry a man that she doesn't love. And forgive me for being graphic, but I imagine her fulfilling her marital duty, laying in bed with him on top of her and all she can think about. He never came back. And that day when David came up those stairs ready to bless, all she saw was the man that hurt me, the man that let me down, the man that I'm offended at. And her perception was distorted and she remained barren all the days of her life. See, there's some people in this room tonight and it's time to leave disappointments at the altar. It's time to leave some offences even towards your partner at the altar. It's time to leave insecurities at the altar. I'll finish with this story and I feel like kind of goes in with the prophetic word that I gave the other night. See, if you're ever playing poker and you get the royal flush of hearts. See, as a pastor, I shouldn't tell you to bet, but if you get that hand, you, you should put everything on it. Because technically it's not gambling, you can't lose. <coughs> well, hang on a sec. There is one way that you could lose. I mean, technically it's the unbeatable hand. The only way you could lose is if you didn't really know the rules that well and you were playing against someone crafty that convinced you that they had a better hand than you and because you didn't know the rules and you were convinced that they were holding a better hand, if you were to lay down your cards, you would lose. There's a lot of people that yes, the devil came and divorce happened. And he said, four of a kind. That's a tough hand to swallow. But that's where you've got to take a moment and say, yes, I acknowledge. I didn't see it coming. Maybe I'm even part to blame. But you know what, devil? I acknowledge that's a really tough hand, but just give me a moment. I'm going to check my cards. <laughs> You're not going to believe it but I've got the royal flush of hearts. His name is Jesus Christ. He can pick me up from the pit. He can restore, he can redeem. The, the, the devil comes and it's terminal uh, diagnosis and that is a tough hand. That's, that's like a straight flush and, and you didn't see it coming and it hurts and you acknowledge it and you say, but hang on a second, devil. Just give me one minute. I acknowledge the hand. It's tough, but I'm just going to check my cards. Hey, what? you're not going to believe it, but I've got the royal flush of hearts again. His name is Jesus. He defeats cancer. He beats cancer. I want every person to stand to your feet. See, there's a whole lot of people and you've, you've had the royal flush of hearts, 
but, but you've been putting down your cards. And it's time to make a decision to say, you know what, that insecurity, that disappointment, that offence that I know is deep down there. I put on a happy face at church and I pretend everything's okay, but I know it's deep down there. Tonight's the night so that we can run like we're meant to run. Tonight's the night that in just a moment, I'm going to open the altar And if you know in your heart of hearts, and I want you to know what the thing is. I I don't want you to come out of an emotional response. I want you to be able to either name the insecurity or or name the the disappointment that hit you for six or, or, or know the person that you're offended at. And when you come in just a moment, you're walking to the royal flush of hearts and you're making a decision to say, God, I'm trading this thing that I've been carrying and instead of focusing on that, that's been distorting my perception, I'm laying it down and I'm going to focus on the goodness and grace of God. On the count of three, if that's you, you know that there's one of these things or something else that needs to be laid down. When I get to three, I want you to come, but don't come to me. Come knowing what you're bringing. And you're going to have your own encounter with God tonight. One, two, three. Just quickly come. Just quickly come. If that's you, just quickly come. Come right to the front. Just quickly come. Just quickly come.